And what we need to teach our managers is to focus on that. Because once you understand human behavior, you then know what the right thing to do is. When you know the people that you work with, and I give you a set of guidelines to think about, then you can make the decision. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's a one and done. It's not black and white. It takes time. It's uncomfortable for many people. But that's the role that I think HR has to play in training managers to prepare for this new normal that we're talking about. Because they're, they're, I can't create a rule book for you. What works at one part of the business is not going to work for another part of the business. I can only teach you how to get to know your people well, and then you apply that knowledge to make a decision. Yeah. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Culture Crunch, brought to you by Hunters and Unicorns. Here we discuss everything company culture related. Today, I'm fortunate enough to be joined by Harsha, the Chief People Officer of MongoDB, a technology company headquartered in New York that provides a general purpose database platform to over 33,000 customers across 100 companies and employs almost around 4,000 people across the world. Harsha, welcome to the Culture Crunch. Thank you for having me. Now, Harsha, you've got an incredibly illustrious career and we're so keen and I'm grateful to have you as a guest on, on the show. Before we begin, I'm really keen just to, to gauge your opinion on what exactly does good company culture look like to you? It's a great question. It's hard to sometimes define culture because culture ultimately is a set of human behaviors, right? And I think that human behavior varies a lot in response to the environment you put people in, other people they're interacting with, challenges that they're being dealt with, etc. So it's very hard to define for me what a good culture necessarily looks like. I think what matters with culture is, is it bringing out the best in human behavior? To me, that's a good culture. And that can vary. It varies with the situation the company's in, the evolution, stage of evolution the company may be in, a high growth company like ours versus a more established one. What is the co company trying to accomplish? What environment is it operating? We're operating in the middle of this crazy pandemic, right? Which has definitely changed the way humans behave. So I think for me, it's, it's more about bringing out the best in your employees, in the humans that you employ. If you're, if, if a culture can bring that out in you, it's a good culture and it works for your company. Otherwise it's not. Understood. And Harsha, you spoke earlier about the impact of the pandemic. Obviously it's completely changed the landscape in, in not just the tech space, but absolutely every industry around the world. I'm really keen to understand you know, your thoughts regarding the because obviously now there's so much of a working from home, there's a melding of people's personal as well as professional lives. What do you think the ramifications are on, on leadership and people management? Huge, huge. Um, this melding of personal and professional lives is a phenomenon that, to be honest with you, I spend a lot of time thinking about. And I think it has in many ways, fundamentally changed even my own job, the job of a CPO, head of HR, 
you do see CPOs being more in demand these days. And I think one of the reasons is that. What happens when personal and professional lives blur, or rather in, in the case of a pandemic, pretty much erased, those lives have been erased. I think this blurring began a few years ago with the advent of technology and the fact that, you know, you have your the world at your fingertips now in the form of your smartphone. I remember a time in my career when, when I came home, I didn't even have a laptop. I didn't bring my work home. So there was a very clear separation between my personal and professional life. And I almost had, like, it was the commute, honestly, right, that allowed me to transition from one part of my world to another part of my world. That compartmentalization has its good and its bad. And now the blurring of those two and the erasing of that line has its good and bad as well. A few ways in which I think I've seen it come to life. One, I think when you're lot, the, the lines are erased, what happens is everything that's happening in your personal life, everything that's happening around you enters the workplace. So you start to have more personal and often more difficult conversations in the workplace. These are conversations we didn't have before, right? And what that means for managers of people is you need to start to think about your employees as human beings. They bring their challenges and their personal issues with them to work. And it doesn't mean that you have to sit there and become a therapist, but you kind of have to understand where they're coming from. So I think it's a new leadership paradigm, right? I think leaders are having to think very differently about how to manage through that uncertainty. You know, an example I'll give you, last week there was a school shooting here in the United States, which has really bothered particularly a parent. It bothered me, a parent of young children, right? My children go to school every day and they actually run, run drills um, to plan for active shooters. So these are kinds of things that weigh on people's minds and they bring those things to work. You have to be cognizant of it. You have to recognize that it's going to affect them at work, whether you like it or not. It's not about whether it's right or wrong, whether it's beneficial or not, but you have to make the time to understand that. So I think it's actually changing the way you manage people. It's become more difficult. It's become more ambiguous. It requires you to really understand the whole person and not just direct their work. So I think it has changed the way you think about leadership development. It changes the way people like me do our job because when you think about the employee experience at work, you think about employee engagement at work, you have to think about these things too. That wasn't true a few years ago. Uh, those things have started to make its way to the workplace and we need to think about things like mental health, like things like someone's you know, in the middle of a pandemic, how do you deal with all of these issues? You've got children homeschooling at home. You've got a job to do. How do I give them space to do what they need to do so they don't feel overwhelmed? How do I manage this hybrid working thing? Like it's a whole different ballgame when you now have teams that some of whom are in the office, some of whom are not, and they're more like often than not distributed all over the world. It changes the way you manage them. If you have only one person on Zoom and five people in the room, You've got to make an extra effort to make sure the person on Zoom is able to speak up, able to participate, or vice versa. The odd one out is always the one that tends to get lesser airtime. How do you make sure they get more airtime? Interactions on Zoom are also more formal, but at the same time are very informal. You're talking to me sitting in my home right now. You see my children's pictures in the back. You, you might see my dog walk in. Sometimes you might see my children walk in to ask me some random question, which for their nine-year-old brain thinks it's very urgent. Um, 
this changes. It makes you makes me human to you. But at the same time, a Zoom interaction is more formal than an in-person interaction. So if I'm trying to just, for example, build a relationship with a new person on my team, it's much easier to do that in person over a meal than it is to do on Zoom. With Zoom, there's a formality. You kind of put it on the calendar and invite us to go out. Those informal th things, those water cooler conversations you had, those have caused this. These are all examples of how our personal and professional lives are melding. And a completely new way in which we live and work is starting to emerge. And that's a wonderful challenge, frankly, for people in my profession. And it's a unique challenge for those who are in people management roles because it's a it's a skill that not many people have because it's a relatively new phenomenon and we're having to build those. So those new muscles are having to be built. So Harsha, do you think that training managers now, it's different to training managers 20 years ago because of all the new you know, the new landscape, the new parameters uh, as a result of the pandemic and so forth. And, and are we doing enough, do you think, to equip our managers to, to, to do what they need to do effectively in today's age? I'll answer the second question first because I don't know, to be honest, right? We're trying a few things here at MongoDB. Other companies are trying different things, but time will tell if those are working or not, if I'm being honest. How has it changed their jobs and what training can we then offer them? Yes, I do think we have to teach people management a little differently now than we did before. I think a lot of, you know, I, for example, have been around, you know, been managing people for about 15, 20 years now. I think the early school of leadership was very much about directing work, about being very specific, having all the answers not showing vulnerability, um, being a bit of a, almost like a very, you know, structured, disciplined leader. And that was the kind of leadership that was exalted in organizations, that was desired in organizations. I think that has changed. Today's leaders don't necessarily have all the answers because some of the answers to these questions are not straightforward. If you ask, you know, I'll use the example of the shooting again, right? Like the, it, it was a terrible event. It leads to a lot of political discourse, by the way, in, in the United States. And these things make their way into the organization. Now, you can't possibly have a political discussion with someone working with you in the workplace. But if the conversation comes up, how do you diffuse that tension? So there's, it's not about, you can't, you don't have an answer to that. So it's not about necessarily having answers to the questions. It, it's more about asking the right questions. So that's one way in which management has changed. We're, we're going to teach managers to think about that very actively. The other thing I often talk about, which I think is changing the way we teach people management is it's very difficult to create a playbook or a process for how to manage people these days. I often talk about how I can only give you guidelines. I can give you a framework. Ultimately, these are people that they work for you. You know them best. You've got to learn to get to know them best. You make the decision. I can't make all the decisions for you. HR historically has been that function that tends to step in when a policy needs to be put in place or a process needs to be put in place. And I don't want to be that CPO. I'm often trying to push my team to say, we're not here to create a one-size-fits-all set of rule book, right? We're here to help managers make good decisions by teaching them the questions to ask, 
how to deal with their employees, how to get to know your employees. What we bring to the table as HR professionals is an understanding of human behavior. And what we need to teach our managers is to focus on that because once you understand human behavior, you then know what the right thing to do is. When you know the people that you work with, and I give you a set of guidelines to think about, then you can make the decision. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's a one and done. It's not black and white. It takes time. It's uncomfortable for many people. But that's the role that I think HR has to play in training managers to prepare for this new normal that we're talking about. Because they're, they're, I can't create a rule book for you. What works at one part of the business is not going to work for another part of the business. I can only teach you how to get to know your people well. And then you apply that knowledge to make a decision. I've always said that every business problem in any company, when you sort of break it down and you peel the onion, at its very basic level, it boils down to human behaviors. Every business problem. It's why so many CEOs and C-level execs all over talk about how much time they spend dealing with people issues because most business problems boil down to that. Especially if you're in a place like MongoDB is... I tell you, we've got all the other raw material. We've got a great product. We've got a great business model. We've got all the things we need to do to run a successful business. When problems arise, it always boils down to human behavior. And that's the understanding of human behavior is what we bring to the table. So my goal is to get managers to also learn how to do that well. They can then make decisions more independently and not rely on HR to tell them what to do. What what I'm hearing, Harsha, is that managers now have actually have have a, more of a difficult task than, let's say, managers 20 years ago, which is, I suppose, a, a bit of a sweeping generalization. But what you're saying is that we now need to manage the whole person as opposed to just workflow and activity, right? Now we've got to manage that and so much more. Um, and I think you're right. I think in the kind of HR people space, it's we don't always have the answers, but it's about making space for the conversation. Yes, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head there. I think it's all about making the space for the conversation. Again, you we all have personal opinions about things that are happening in the world, right? You can't lead with that opinion either on one end of the spectrum because that would just be forcing your opinion on someone else. You have to create safe spaces for conversations. You have to listen more than you ever have before. You need to ask questions to diagnose the problem that the individual is coming to you with. And you have to bring your human side forward as well. You've got to be vulnerable about it. I often tell people, like I have, I have people on my team with young children that, like little babies and toddlers, and you know sometimes you can't send them to school, they're not feeling well, but you're working from home, they're going to come and bother you. And I've had times when people have said, I'm, I'm going to have my child with me in the call today because I had a childcare emergency, blah, blah, blah. It's making it okay for them to do that by role modeling some of it yourself. My children do interrupt me sometimes when they're at home, um, even though they're told not to. But I've also found that when they do that, it makes people relate to you better because they, they realize you have the same challenges we have. It's also about, as leaders, I think we have to talk more about some of the personal challenges we face. I'm a mother, I'm a wife, I'm a dual career household. I've got my own sets of challenges. I really believe in talking about them because I'm hoping that people can learn from that. So bringing your human side forward in those conversations with your people to help them see that I understand how you feel, I'm also human, changes the equation a little bit. 
to going to where I think we've all grown up, at least I certainly have, in a world where you, that was not necessarily considered appropriate to do back then as a leader of people. You weren't supposed to be emotional or vulnerable. You were supposed to have the answers. You were supposed to come and solve problems. And yes, as a manager, it's still my job to solve problems. But I just feel like you have to do it very, very differently now. Very differently. Understood. Absolutely. And we've talked, Asha, about the impact of the pandemic and the melding of the personal and professional lives on management leadership. Let's talk about culture. So in terms of the high growth environment, uh, you know, specifically within the tech space, what do you think happens to culture when companies scale and grow? Does it change? Do we lose it? What are your thoughts on that? I think culture evolves. It doesn't scale. But culture can evolve because a company is scaling and scaling fast. We certainly see that here at MongoDB. We're growing incredibly fast. And whenever a company grows, slow, medium, fast, doesn't matter, when things around the world start happening, like the pandemic, the culture in a company has to evolve. I mean, it, it, it can't stay static. And it's one of the things that I think a lot of companies honestly struggle with, particularly small companies that are becoming big companies. Because when you're a small company, right, you have, it's a smaller environment, you're a small number of people. It's a different vibe and it's a different culture. And when we start to get bigger, there's, a, there's always a worry that we're going to lose what made us special. We're going to lose what made us so successful. Uh, and we somehow have to try very hard to protect it. Now, nobody wants to lose anything that's good about a culture. Uh, but at the same time, it's foolish to think that the culture won't change and the culture won't evolve and that all of it doesn't have to be bad. I think people tend to think when companies get bigger, you know, the, the bad stuff about big companies creeps in, the slowness. And one, we should be wary of that. I don't think that's necessarily a good thing that needs to creep in. But there are good things about bigger companies that can creep in. This idea of structure, as an example. Having a conversation about what we're going to do two years down the line as opposed to what we're thinking about two months down the line. These are things that bigger companies tend to do more of than smaller, high-growth companies. So these are good aspects of big company culture that we should be embracing. The point, I think, is... When you see culture evolving and changing, as it should, a few things that leaders, company leaders should keep in mind. One is, it is going to change. Expecting it to stay static is just not practical or reasonable. So you should accept it, first of all, and be prepared for it, second of all. You have to know that it is going to evolve. And so if there is something you need to do to double down on things you want to keep intact, because they're really what's that's, the, that's your mojo. That's what's making you successful. You have to make a concerted effort to do that. It's not going to happen organically, particularly for a company like ours, and especially in the context of a pandemic, when people are joining companies where they've never met the people in person. They've never been inside an office. 80% of our employee base was hired in the last three years, which means most of them joined the middle of a pandemic. And many of them, even now, haven't met each other they have not met their teammates that may not have even been in the office. So in an environment like this, expecting culture to evolve on its own means you're going to lose control on it. So if you want, as a leadership team of a company, 
to create a culture that you be- believe needs to be very specific because it's got to have that secret mojo. It's got to keep a few things intact. It's got to embrace new things gradually or in a very intentional way. You have to be intentional about it. You have to do something about it. Otherwise, it'll just meander. Few things could happen. It'll either just meander, it'll probably end up in a not very positive place, could become toxic, right? Another pathway is it could result in the creation of too many subcultures. While I think that microcultures do exist in a company and they should, it might become that you have so many subcultures that there is no company culture anymore. It becomes too diluted or it becomes very much specific to which department or business unit you belong to. And again, while there are always variations in each BU, each department, that's natural, it's normal. There's kind of something that keeps the glue together, glues it all together, you know? And that, that doesn't happen on its own. Absolutely. So, so, so otherwise it's going to be a, a sort of fractured culture, which is essentially core culture. So that's really interesting. You talked about leaders getting ahead of the changes and actually almost driving the changes themselves so that they are being proactive in that process. Would you say that was fair to say? It is very fair to say. And it's something that we're talking a lot about right now at MongoDB. You know, how do you make the connection between our culture and our core values as a company really front and center of the conversation? Every company has its has their core values, whether they have it documented or not. Everyone has these, I would say, three to five tops things or values that they care deeply about and that you see in the company. It's visible, it's palpable. Because every human being has a value system. Don't we all have we all have values we live by? And I don't think you leave your values behind when you go to work. You take them to work with you. And they collectively inform the values of the company. I think thinking about what those values are and anchoring your culture to that is an important part of the conversation as you grow as a company. It's as important as thinking about your product evolution, thinking about you know evolu- evolution of your you know go-to-market models and all of that stuff that you expect every CEO to do. You know, Dave, our CEO and I talk a lot about our culture. It's very important to him because he recognizes it's one of our most important assets as a company. And so we've got to pay attention to it. We've got to talk about it. We've got to do something to make it clear to employees what our culture is. Keep in mind also when you onboard employees at the rate we're doing in a company like MongoDB, you know, they're not just going to come and learn it automatically. And it's not always words on a paper that teach you. How do you keep the conversation alive about culture? It's because it's ultimately behavior. And believe me, you know, yes, people do leave jobs because of money and the type of work they do and all of those things. But the thing that really keeps people in their job is culture, ultimately. How do they feel when they work here? Because if you don't feel good about working in a place, whatever you are, no amount of money and perfect job description is going to keep you there. It may not be what makes you, attracts you to a job sometimes. It's usually the money. It's usually the job description. Maybe some of the people you met in the interview process. Because culture is hard to define until you experiencing it and experience it. But it's certainly what keeps you in a company. It's 
I would argue it keep it has a higher impact on retention than money and job titles do. I completely agree. I completely agree. And I think you said something that was so, I mean, you said many interesting things, but there was something that really resonated, which was we talk about protecting culture a lot. But actually, do we need to have a bit of a, a paradigm shift and talk about propelling and driving the right culture, which naturally evolves and changes? Do you think we need to kind of almost, and uncertainly, I talk about protecting good company culture. That's in my head, that's what we need to do. We've got a really good culture. We've got to protect it at all costs. But actually, am I stifling development? Am I stifling growth? Should I step aside and just say, look, as long as we're driving it in the right way, let it move, let it be fluid. Do you think, we're, you know, we're as individuals, some of us are, could, could, could adopt a bit of a, mind, a mindset shift when it comes to company culture? Yes, that's a that's a fascinating thought about keeping keeping the approach to culture more fluid. It's interesting you use the word protect, right? I think you're absolutely right. A lot of leaders in companies, particularly companies they have built or seen grow from ground up, tend to want to protect the culture, and sometimes at all costs. And that's not necessarily a very good thing either. I think it's not protect so much as. For me, it's about keeping the conversation about culture front and center in your business strategy conversations. There's that old saying, like culture eats strategy for breakfast. It's true though, because if you you have the perfect business model and everything's working well, if you don't have the right culture, you're not going to get the best out of the people you work with. And I always come back to this thing about human behavior. Human behavior can make or break a company, right? And the human behavior is culture. Ultimately, what is culture? Culture is a set of human behaviors. So to me, it's 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 less about protecting. I I, I don't necessarily agree that we we should just let it be either. I agree being open-minded about culture moving in different directions as your company moves in different directions is a natural outcome. I don't know that it's but I also don't want leaders to get the impression that, oh, it'll figure itself out. I don't think it does. Culture does start top down first before it is bottoms up. I think there's, it, it, there's, a, there's an element of raising the floor and raising the ceiling, as I like to say. I think there's a tone that you do need to set at a leadership level in a company that defines the kind of culture you're trying to build in this organization that you, you're leading. And then there's the microcultures, which we were talking about earlier, that are very much, you know, every team has its little rituals and things that define its culture. And particularly now with our hybrid working model, you experience a culture typically through your teams more than you do in any other form because fewer people are going into the office these days, right? So there is that element. I don't think leaders should ever take their eye off the ball on culture. And it's not to protect it so much as to make sure that conversation stays front and center. That you're always thinking about it in a very intentional way and recognizing if it's changing, how is it changing? Is it changing for the better? Is it changing for the worse? Are we losing connection with our values? Do they need to be refreshed? Are the values not relevant anymore? These are questions every leader should be constantly asking themselves. As much as they ask questions about the product or 
customers or technology or anything else that goes into making a business, this is a conversation you have to ask yourself constantly because ultimately that that's going to define how your employees experience you and your company and your team and it's what's going to keep them there. So it's less about protecting, but more about, again, to your earlier point, making the space for the conversation to happen, which people don't tend to do, right? Especially when things are going well, you, you spend too much time thinking about. But when you're doing well and growing at the same time, know that your culture is probably getting diluted because a lot of new people are coming on board. And are you okay with that? Or do you need to reinforce some elements of culture that you do not want to dilute? So it's treating culture like a constantly evolving piece and integral part of the business, as opposed to, you know, picking it up and putting it down at stagnant intervals. It's actually about, as you said, Harsha, keeping it front and center all the time in all dialogue, whether we're talking about strategy or product or any other element of, of a business. It's about keeping culture front and center and ensuring its evolution along with other parts of, of of the body or of, of the of, of the business just uh, you know I'm, I'm conscious of time harsh and the time's flowing by as it always does when when i speak with you but short term over the next three to six months what do you think companies particularly high growth companies in the software tech space what do you think companies in that community can really do to propel good company culture Think a couple of things. One is not people or culture related, it's business related. Execution. You know, I think companies need to keep focused on execution so they can keep growing. Right? Because if you grow, first of all, it's lovely to work for a growing company. It contributes to the culture in an incredibly positive way. Because you see your work come to fruition. You see the impact you're doing, especially in the size, the company size that we have. I think that's one of the best parts about our culture is that ability to, you know, the growth contributes to the culture. So in order to keep the company growing, I think from a business lens, leaders have to double down on just strong execution of the basics of running a business. That's super important. And I can't take that away. And two, when it comes to culture, of course, we have to keep the culture front and center. I said before, culture may not be what people go to work for a company for because it's hard to suss it out in an interview process, to be quite honest. But it's what keeps people in a company. I can throw money at someone and I can throw titles at someone to attract them to the company. But ultimately, what's going to stop a person from going is if they truly enjoy working there. People underestimate how important that is to people. And it's because we're human beings. Nobody, We spend a majority of our time working. Nobody wants to be working in an unhealthy culture. So I do think that in a time like this, it's so important to continue to double down on culture because good culture, in addition to being a great retention mechanism, actually enables better business outcomes, ultimately. Why I even talk about this so much is because, again, as I said, every business issue boils down to human behavior. So if you've got a good culture, a culture that knows how to, when to collaborate, when to get things done, how to make it matter, how to think big. All of these are very important to us at OmangoDB. We know it results in flawless execution of our business goals, ultimately. So there's a very close correlation between culture and business outcomes. 
it's not just a good HR thing to talk about. It, why culture matters? It's because it keeps people around and it results in better business outcomes. So I think if if leaders focused on strong execution at the very basics of running a business and focused on culture at the same time, but didn't lose sight of that conversation, made sure there was time made for those conversations, I think the companies who do those two things have a higher chance of writing out this uncertainty that I think we're experiencing and we will experience over the next three to six months. So yeah, I think that's what people need to double down on. What do you double down on from a culture perspective? That's up to you. That's for every company to define. Whatever is most important to you, whatever speaks deeply to you. It's culture that also, I think, results in a more personal connection for employees with their with, with their companies, right? I talked about values earlier. When you have, you work for a company whose values resonate yours, you develop an emotional connection to that company that can't be beat. That emotional connection, which is often referred to as engagement in HR parlance, is ultimately what keeps people around. And what keeps them, not just keeps them around, but keeps them happy, keeps them productive. When you're happy, you do better work. Simple as that. When you're not happy, you're not going to be motivated to do your best work. So the goal here is to build that personal connection through culture. Culture and values, a values-based culture, if you will. When you build that connection, I think people will go the extra mile. People will do good work. And the reality is that every company can find values and culture that speaks to individuals. And what that is, is for you to define. I don't think that's for me to define for companies, other companies, for me to define for MongoDB, though, which I look forward to. Harsha, thank you so much. Uh, it's been incredibly insightful. I mean, talking about how the melding of professional and personal elements has impacted leadership, uh, how culture evolves in a high growth area and, and what leaders can do to really nurture and support that. And of course, the pandemic's role in the great pandemic as well. It has just been so interesting and we're just so incredibly grateful for your time, Harsha. Thank you for having me.